Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, we are back after our holiday hiatus. Netflix streams in Hong Kong, finally. Hong Kong gets a few new cinemas as well. We have some Star Wars news in China, and we talk Patrick Kong's end-of-year film, Anniversary. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. And welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is a new year, so let me wish a happy new year to everyone. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox. And coming to you from his news desk inside the now-abandoned Times Square New Year's Eve ball is Mr. Kevin Ma. It's still 2015, right? No? Are we... Well, the ball hasn't dropped yet. Yeah, I don't may, know. Maybe, maybe if, if you're under uh, a, a rock somewhere, or uh, <laughs> you have a time machine, perhaps you know. I kid, I kid. Happy New Year, Paul. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year, sir. How are you? Um, good, good. How was your holiday? It was good. Yeah, I went yeah. back to the states, see some family. But you, you were in the states as well for for a long time. Yeah, yeah, just about a little bit under four weeks flying aside. Uh, it was always good to see the family, go out and you know just spend some time pigging out on all the American food that we can't get over here in Hong Kong. Um, but yeah, good time was had by all, I think. So. And you seem, seems like, it sounds like you saw a few movies as well. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, saw uh, a couple. Went out to see Sisters, which was okay. Um, saw Star Wars, of course. And unfortunately, we did not get a chance to do the special Star Wars episode that we had hoped to kind of pull off, but uh, schedules did not align. The Force was not with us, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, but yeah, and then we saw what was the uh, the Will Ferrell movie, which was um, much funnier. Daddy's home. Yeah, much funnier than I expected. Um, I, I, I like Will Ferrell. I tend to be a fan more often than not of his movies. I'm not such a big fan of Mark, Marky Mark, but uh, they were good together. It was it was a fun and, and funny movie. So yeah, that was good. And uh you know, just, again, caught up on a lot of stuff on the plane. That's one of the great things about planes is the modern planes today have a pretty good database of movies and, and stuff that I wouldn't have gotten to see otherwise. Um, quite a few Chinese films in the database that I wouldn't have had access to for a while. So so I want to ask what, you, what airline did you fly? Uh, American. Is, American yeah. has a yeah. big VOD now. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah they, wow. have, they have a really good uh, – their, their newer planes have a really good system. I'm um, surprised. And, uh, yeah, I've kind of made the jump from, I used to be United, uh, and trying to build, uh, my miles with United, but I want to say two or three times, cause we fly from Hong Kong direct over to Newark as the hub. And a couple times we got caught going back at Christmas in uh, bad winter weather. So now we go American down to Dallas and we're much less likely to get, uh, snowed in or, or delayed because of the winter weather down there and right. so, so we're able to get down to south florida a little bit more easily so we've been doing that trip um this is our second year with that and yeah i'm pretty pleased with the, the american in-flight entertainment um and they've got the fancy i don't know if you've seen them the fancy new seat backs now where they have a usb port right there so you can charge directly to your you know phone or your ipad and oh, you, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. also, sure. um, I, I haven't tried it, but you can, not from an Apple phone, but I guess from an Android phone, you can uh, port stuff in. So, like, if you've got stuff on your phone that you want to watch on their system, um, you can port stuff in somehow. Um, oh, wow. So, but I think that's Android only. I don't think that it works with the iOS from what I was seeing, reading about in their system, so. But yeah, it was fun. And how about you, sir? You uh, were also back. Did you uh, catch any new movies while you were there? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I actually I promised my friend I would catch Star Wars Star Wars with him, so I caught it again on IMAX this time. Um, and then I uh, saw Creed, 
the new uh, the new Rocky film, which was awesome. By the way, it was really really good. Um, I saw Spotlight, a, the the film about um, the Boston Globe, uh, their investigation of the Boston Church, uh, uh, the the molesting priests uh, conspiracy, uh, which is also really just really a great film. And uh, yeah, I saw the seventy millimeter version of uh, the Hateful Eight, the Quentin Tarantino film. Ah yes, the Hateful Eight. He's 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 making name a, a continuous name for himself in the news. Of right. Late. So, but that, I guess that's par for the course for Quentin. Well, yeah. I mean, he was just sort of full of himself when it was at the Golden Globe accepting the award on uh, on behalf of um, Ennio Morricone, uh, completely getting his facts wrong, and uh, and uh, yeah, just sort of made it about himself more than the uh, the award the the award winner. But yeah. anyway, the film is okay. Um, if I had to rank it, I mean, it would be Spotlight, Creed, then Hateful Eight. I, though I did enjoy all, all three films, nevertheless. And, of course, Star Wars. I mean, mm. it's Star Wars, right? So, um, yeah. And so, you know, I bought, got some shopping done, saw family. Um, not a very long trip, not un- unlike yours. I mean, I, I was mainly trying to clear my annual leave. So, so um, at least I got to spend New Year's. And I saw my, my niece. And um, it was her birthday. So, yeah, no, things, things are good. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't mind this, this yearly trip thing. So. Mm, excellent, excellent. Well, why don't we uh, shift gears and get back to what we do here and actually talk about some real news. So let me throw it back to Kevin at the news desk. Here at the news desk, uh, well, I mean, clearly big news uh, this week. Uh, not exactly Asian cinema thing, but uh, Mr. David Bowie uh, passed away at the age of 69 um, after an 18-month-long battle of cancer. Um, of course, I mean, all of us who listen to music or watch films or involved in pop culture in some way know who David Bowie is. I'm, I'm still young, so um, I wasn't a big, like, big big fan um but you know of course i admired him and i know his stuff so but paul i mean what what do you think are you a big fan of david bowie yeah i mean uh as i like to tell people i'm not a music guy i i know a lot of people who are music people um you know like a friend of the show david harris comes to mind some other people i know who, who they really know music and they really get music um for me my musical tastes i tend to be much prefer much more like uh, inst- instrumental music more so than people who sing, but um, of the people who sing that I've actually bought albums for and have kind of followed their careers, David Bowie was one. I think he's actually the first LP that I ever bought. Um, this was back in the 80s when he kind of made, the, he shifted to a more commercial mode with um, Let's Dance and, uh, you know, China Girl and, and, and uh, that whole album. But getting into that back when I did got me to go back to some of his earlier stuff, um, you know, from the 70s and the glam rock period. And um, all of his music, I think, is just, you know, um, pretty amazing and, and very transformative. Um, he, he continually is able to adapt and, and find new sounds. And um, But I also really appreciated him for the movies he made, right? Um, and not a lot of people unless they're really big into film, um, know about his movie career. I mean, he's been in horror movies like uh, was The Hunger. He's done um, uh, he's done uh, fantasy movies like Labyrinth, one of my favorite, uh, you know, fantasy films. And, um, you know, he's he's been a presence, you know, the, the Man Who Fell to Earth, uh, a classic sci-fi film, but also sort of a, uh, I, I guess, a, a tale about... Uh, you know, addiction and, and things like that. So um, he's a, he's kind of an all-around entertainer in, in some ways. I mean, you don't get a lot of people like him today in, in, in the entertainment industry. And he's somewhat, I think, in some ways, he's akin to people like, you know, local artists, you know, who, who play sort of both sides of that and are able to find, you know, success um, very, very well, both musically but also on the on the big screen to some extent right and actually one of the weirdest uh, it sounds really weird but one of my most i guess fondest um 
memories of, of David Bowie is actually a his um, Christmas special where he sings "Little Drummer Boy" with um, Bing, Bing, Bing Crosby. Cos- yeah. Is it Bing Crosby? Yeah, yeah this is one of the weirdest kind of matchup ever, I think, in terms of Christmas song. But it's something that I've always kind of remember. It's something yeah. that I watch every Christmas. Well, it's, it's either that or it's his music video with Mick Jagger, where they redo uh, what is it the. Dancing in the street, I think uh, it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty odd video for the time, uh, with the two of them just uh, being kind of freaky. But um, yeah, it's a it's a you know it's just a, there's been a string of musicians who've recently passed. Um, Natalie Cole, I think, and uh, um, the heavy metal musician uh, is it Lemmy? Lemmy? Yeah. So you know, it's just uh, for me, I was kind of just shocked because. You know, he still seems rather young in my book, um, and, and it's unfortunate that he had to have this, you know, fight with cancer. And he kind of kept it on the down low from what I've read. Um, he wasn't, um, you know, open and, and public about it. And, and it's a shame um, that uh, he won't be around to make more music for us. But uh, if you're, again, if you're not somebody who's familiar with uh, some of his stuff, I mean, even I got one of the, we are talking about catching up on movies, um, I, I finally caught The Martian um, during the plane ride. And, you know, right there as part of the soundtrack, of course, is a David Bowie song. So, um, you know, he's somebody who's been ingrained in popular culture, um, you know, and I think will continue to be going forward. So let's move on to some, I guess, slightly more positive news, I guess. <laughs> we right. finally have Netflix here in right. uh, Hong Kong. And uh, as they as they hashtag it, Netflix anywhere or Netflix everywhere? Well, yeah. Technically. Um, it was announced last week at CES. Um, the, the head of Netflix um, said at his keynote speech, uh, his big announcement at CES was that um, uh, Netflix has been expanded from around 60 countries in the world to 130 countries as of last week. Um, that includes Korea, uh, Hong Kong, Japan, Japan's always there for the last couple of months, but you know you got Singapore now, um, and of course the only major country uh, that does not have Netflix at the moment is China. Um, so uh, I've been using it for about a week now because actually before this, um, even my VPN did not work on Netflix, so I haven't been using it at all, and they only accepted American credit card, so I have not been using it. But uh, this week I've been using it for the past week. Um, aside from some odd problems with my with uh, my Apple TV connection. Um, I'm not sure what it is, and perhaps there's some tech geek out there who can help me because uh, my brother has, even my brother who is an IT person, has not been very helpful. Um, for some reason, when I plug it, my Apple TV into uh, through a landline into my Air- Airport Extreme router, um, Netflix does not really work properly, but it works everywhere else. So uh, one and then once I put the landline into the modem that go directly into the air internet connection where's no problem um looks great shows look great so um anyway that's besides the point um so many of the netflix shows are included um you have your uh, uh, uh the one that just finished this already is master of none the, the, the 10 episode sitcom or is new black um marco polo uh uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, all there. No House of Cards because the rights were already bought locally by um, some pretty big networks. I think Love TV and also uh, uh, Sony Entertainment, who actually produced House of Cards, uh, decided to carry it on their own channel here in Hong Kong instead of um, letting Netflix, Netflix have global rights. Um, of course, also a number of movies. Um, Warner Brothers, Paramount, some Fox films. Uh, those are the three big studios. And interestingly enough... Um, I turned on my VPN uh, through my account, and I got into the U.S. Uh, website, and I noticed that actually some of the films that we do have here in Hong Kong are actually not available in the American Netflix. So kind of interesting with the licensing deals. Um, so even though they talk about Netflix everywhere, it seems that Netflix is still kind of constrained by these these you know regional um, uh, rights deals and things like that. But at least Netflix has said that going forward. They, they will try and obtain global rights for, for the shows that they carry. Um, anyway, besides, in addition to the Netflix show, we also get things like American shows like uh, Better Call Saul. Uh, we also have uh, uh, um, uh, Breaking Bad, Black Mirror, um, um, was it How to Get Away Murder, so a number of American shows. And I think it's um, since the movie selections is a bit small at the moment, 
um, if you're if you're def- if you're more in TV than 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 movies, then yeah, Netflix is is great. Um, as someone who is trying to catch up on his American television, um, especially with the VPN working now, Netflix is like a godsend for me. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm glad that Netflix has sort of had the clout over the have built up a clout over the years that they've been able to obtain global global rights and yeah, uh, and I hope that going forward they they can um, uh, keep building on that. Uh, Paul, you've been using the American one, right? Yeah, have you used the Hong Kong one at all? Uh, yeah, I've been using the American one for about um, six months, I want to say. Um, right, right, right around the summer, I signed up for it when they uh, um, they they started the um, the new season of How to Train Your Dragon. Um, so that was like I had I had set a number in my mind of Netflix original series. Once they got to the a certain number of series that would be enough for me to to sign up. So that one was the the tipping point. So I've been using it with a VPN here successfully for the past six months. But after you told me about your little trick, um, so what I've done is I I signed up for the Hong Kong one last week because for me, um, one of the big things is I want to watch their original shows like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, but I want a Chinese subtitles option for my wife. And so I was curious to see... Uh, if you know that's available on Hong Kong Netflix, and so sure enough, it is. So originally, I had planned to just keep both, uh, both accounts, um, so that I could watch stuff with my wife, and then I could watch stuff that she's not interested in. Um, that's on the U.S. Netflix for myself. But then you told me of the little uh, VPN trick. I, I guess it's a trick, or I guess it's basically what they plan, um, where you can just sign into your Netflix account and it will be region set wherever you are. Yeah, it's a global once you get one account, it's global, yeah. So I've since uh, canceled my US account and will keep the Hong Kong account. I want to support the Hong Kong side so they can get more content in there, but I keep the VPN so that I can switch over when I want to see shows that aren't on the Hong Kong side, which, as you said, is considerable. I mean, I'm going to give them some time. They've already sent me a survey um I, I did the survey, or I think today or yesterday, and was kind of, you know, saying, okay, I'm happy with the service, but you guys kind of need to, to up the content. Especially, I'm hopeful that they'll come out with more local content. So right now, you mentioned they do have a couple shows um, on Hong Kong um, Netflix that's not on U.S. Netflix. So there's a series, I guess, from China called Empresses in the Palace. I think that is in the U.S. Netflix, isn't it? I didn't see it. Um, uh, it Empress, uh, the Japanese show at 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 delay uh, that was actually produced in Japan for Netflix by Fuji Television. Yeah. Um, but I was actually I was talking more about films. For example, Fight Club um, was available in Hong Kong Netflix, uh, but not available in the US. Yeah. One actually several films. And like you mentioned, they do have some exclusive stuff. So, for example, the new season of uh, How to Train Your Dragon: Race to the Edge, which is just starting, I think, last week is not available um, here uh, in Hong Kong Netflix. So not everything is carried over. And I also don't think um, um, their series Longmire is on Hong Kong Netflix. So it, there's a little bit of inconsistency, but my VPN seems to work fairly well in, you know, you know once I set the region, it recognizes and, and it will bring up the other site. Now the problem is, is when you add something to your list, this is where it starts to to sort of go wonky. So if I add something to my list on U.S., the U.S. side, when I come back to the Hong Kong side, it will show that thing for a while, right? And But if you click on it, it will give you some kind of error message. So they still need to kind of work on that system somehow. Um, uh, you know, there, there's some, there's some, some multi-region bugs going on there. Um, and I've had some issues. I haven't had issues streaming. Um, the big issue I've had is in doing things like AirPlay. So I was, what was I watching? Um, the Lee Bing Bing movie, The Snow Girl and The Dark Crystal, which is on U.S. Netflix but not on Hong Kong Netflix. So I was watching that and trying to throw it up to my Apple TV using AirPlay. And it would play for about five or six minutes, and then it would cut out. 
And I'm thinking it's something in the Netflix app that's doing that because um, I don't have a problem with other apps huh. when, I, when I throw it up to the Apple TV doing that. So Funny enough, when I, when I do it through my <laughs> iPad, it works perfectly. I go on the VPN and then I have a show airplay on TV and I can watch actually multiple episodes of TV that way. Yeah. I have no problem. So, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, technical glitches here and there, but overall, I'm 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 happy with the service. I'm hopeful that they can uh, uh, again get get some more content up there, and, and really, I'd like to see some more uh, regional content um, more than anything else because they do have a good selection of the the exclusive stuff for now. You know, Grace and Frankie and uh, um, Jessica Jones and Daredevil and Penny Dreadful and a bunch of oh, Penny Dreadful's not exclusive. Uh, Marco Polo. Um, so, you know, there's, there's some stuff there that, um, that I'm ha- that excited to be able to watch with my wife and, uh, she'll have the option of Chinese subtitles to help her get through some of the more, you know, uh, technical colloquial language, especially in stuff like Orange is the New Black when, uh, the girls are speaking and, you know, prison slang and stuff. Even with English subtitles, she has a, sometimes a hard time keeping up with that. Heck, even I do, so... <laughs> What I hope Netflix would do is that they they do what they've been doing in Japan and in uh, I guess some other countries they're in and do work with uh, local partners for co-produced shows. So actually, something like HBO Asia. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, I think that there's the money is there. Netflix can put up a a, a portion of money. Uh, let's say someone like HKTV who has trouble getting their own shows out on that platform. Uh, with Netflix, the money and the extra money inserted. I hope that. You know, they can work with local partners, even the Singaporean channels or Media Court or something, or uh, Korea, or the big networks. Um, unfortunately, the, the only show that they, the Japanese show that they have right now, kind of looks like a typical, you know, studio shot Japanese drama, which I was really disappointed by because with companies like Wow Wow and uh, making, you know, shooting shows on, on the Alexa, making them look like film, you figure, you know, Netflix, something that's quite. Uh, progressive would would go uh, a more a more um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for a more um, creative partner I suppose. Mm. Um, so hopefully Netflix can sort of insert that money that's much needed and and co-produce something maybe not specifically for Hong Kong but even an Asian production I, I'd be very happy with. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd say that if you are a Netflix user and you are interested to pop over to the Hong Kong side, but you're not in Hong Kong, uh, you know, check out a, a low-cost VPN and, um, you know, switch over to the uh, to the Hong Kong uh, ID and you can take a look at what's going on over here. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the traditional side of things, I guess. Uh, we're getting a couple new cinemas here in Hong Kong. Indeed. Um, so... With the Festival Walk Cinema closing Kowloon Tong, which I understand that Paul, for you, it's a really like a big loss for you, right? Because that is like near on the way home for you. Well, it's on the it's it's on the way home, but it's it's more of our weekend cinema, right? Because normally I, I I would seldom watch a, a film on the way home, but normally like Saturday morning, that's the closest cinema for us to go to, and even that's going to be a, like a forty five minute. Uh, trek to get out to it um right but but for for those outside of hong kong let's let's kind of put it in perspective uh festival walk is a mall in kowloon tong district it's a very central location in in kowloon um for it is also in fact the only cinema the closest cinema towards the entire eastern new territories region that means um once you step into new, new territories once you leave kowloon tong northwards there is no other well there's only one cinema which yeah. is a ua Shot in, and you know that's barely qualifies a real cinema because it's such crap, right? Um, but thank God, I mean, but you know the um, because the lease uh, was up, uh, the Festival Walk Cinema uh, AMC um, is closing. But the good news is that it's being replaced by another uh, another cinema by another chain, MCL, uh, which is uh, run by Intercontinental and Media Asia. Um, uh, they are, you know, expanding quite considerably, and in fact, they're opening at least three cinemas uh, this year in 2016 here in Hong Kong. So, in addition to the one in Kowloon Tong taking over that one, um, there's some remodeling going on. Not sure how many screens there will be. I assume that they won't do too much renovation on it. Um, they're also building the first uh, East New Territory Cinema 
um, in Jesus, maybe a couple of decades. Um, and, but yeah, so so new cinema uh, up in the eastern theme territories, and the east. I know it sounds like you know rural area, but actually. Um, the eastern new territories like expanded. Uh, the 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 population has has accelerated exponentially over the last couple of decades, and actually now is essentially most of Hong Kong is populated, right? But it is one of the most populated areas in Hong Kong, uh, and there's a quite a significant population out there in the eastern new territories. So this new cinema is in the Fun Lang. Uh, was it Fun Lang? Yeah, Fun, Fun Lang district, yeah. um, which uh, used to have a cinema. We there used to be a small sort of uh, old-style two-house cinema there, two, no, three-house cinema, right. right at the fun, like, basically, you get off the funneling train station, and it was right there across the street, and I used to go to that one all the time until they closed that one down. We have seen, uh, I mean, it's like the cinema chains are doing this almost like musical chairs, right? Because one of the, one of the theaters we often go to when we watch movies together is, uh, used to be a Broadway chain over at Olympic and it jumped over and became the sky which is under Golden Harvest and then another one over on the Mongkok East line used to be Golden Harvest and what did that become Kevin is that MCL now That's or? a UA. That's a UA. So yeah. so it's like they've been like the 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 lease goes under and the the chain says well we're not going to renew the lease but we're going to go over here and take over this lease of this other chain. And then somebody goes and takes over their lease and they do, you know, um, a renovation. And my hope is that the renovation at uh, Kowloon Tong won't take that long. I know that the, when they did the sky, that was up pretty much, that changeover was like within a year from what I remember. It was pretty fast. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, but um, but actually, I, I would argue, I don't think it's a matter of the cinema's choosing. I think... The rent developers, because um, you know these cinema leases, obviously they're pretty long. They're like ten years, I think. So at the end of the lease, uh, obviously, what the developers or the owners are going to want to do is raise the rent. Um, and I think they just raise it to a level that that the the um, um, uh, these current cinema would not be able to afford. And what they do is just bring in a raise the rent even higher and then bring in a new new uh company that wants to take it over so i think that's the case with um mcl who got a pretty big investment from media asia last year so i think they're expanding quite greatly and i think that's what happened with uh the ua cinema over in uh east Bangkok. and um anyway but in addition to the to the mcl expansion in funland they're also building a another cinema in uh, south horizon which is down in aberdeen the southern end of the hong kong island that's actually the first opening um this year that's opening in march um so that's three mcl cinemas plus korean company latte um reportedly building their first cinema here in hong kong um down the shao Wan district but what they're doing according to some local blog report they seem to be taking over a a uh, old um uh, porno theater <laughs> um and and i i don't think they're going to be into uh rebuilding it much because what this seems to be doing like cj did with the um lux cinema in hong kong is that they're actually just establishing a, a, a firm here in hong kong as sort of a uh, a step for them to establish a branch in the, in mainland china um because that's sort of a, a loophole they can use uh if they have a company in hong kong then they can go establish a branch in china so that's what i think latte is trying to expand their cinema into china and the best way to do it is to first build a a, a sort of a small, you know, cinema in Hong Kong that won't cost them much money, but won't earn them much money either. Um, but yeah, so that's at least four cinemas coming to Hong Kong uh, in 2016. Now, what's interesting is that today um, at the policy address here in Hong Kong, uh, Chief Ex- Executive CY Learn seems to think that the best way to save Hong Kong cinema industry, uh, the Hong Kong film industry, is to build more cinemas. <laughs> um, yeah, I and I tweeted I, I, building more cinemas to show Marvel movies is not the way to save Hong Kong films. Yeah, certainly not. Um, especially when when I have to go out to uh, Diamond Hill to watch a local film. Exactly, <laughs> at, at some odd time. What he, what he's trying to do is encourage developers when they build mall to build in a, a space for a cinema. But you know, it's like, look, that's that's gonna save the what theater industry. 
not the film industry, the theater industry. And these guys, I don't think, really deserves that much sympathy at the moment, especially when they're finding all kinds of ways to incur surcharges on us. You know, New Year's, you know, here's $10. Movie longer than 135 minutes, here's another $10. Pre-D, here's another $20. Oh, Atmos Sound, here's another $20. You know, it just, it never ends with the surcharges. So, honestly, I am, my, my, you know, the fact that they're showing... Uh, um, and they're you know putting ten you know ten screens for a Hollywood film instead of a local film. I I have no sympathy for not that much sympathy for cinemas, and I do not think that they need government's help. In fact, anyone who has the guts to open an art house cinema in Hong Kong that will exclusively show um, uh, a so-called art film, indie films, especially local indie films, that I would go support. That's what we need in Hong Kong, not more nor more mall cinemas for Hollywood films. Build more dynasties. That's what we need. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're going to come to Hong Kong, uh, at least you'll have some more choices in the very near future of where you can go to watch movies. It'd be interesting to see how this, you know, affects some of the local film festivals and uh, and th- those kinds of things in terms of where things get play and and what gets used in, in terms of screens. All right. Uh, let's uh, finally talk about the. Uh, one billion pound gorilla in the room and of course that is star wars uh doing gangbuster business worldwide and that includes china right um well there's a bit of you know a but or asterisk to the whole thing but you know all month we've been talking about how how, how well i mean you see the press talk about how great star wars have been doing um and actually they were a bit they seem to be a bit nervous about how we're doing china um and and I guess they kind of breathe a sigh of relief because Star Wars did very well in China. Opened on uh, Friday, I believe Friday. Uh, yeah, Friday. And since then, over four days, it has already made four hundred thirty-four dot sorry point six seven million RMB, um, which is extremely impressive. I mean, the fact that. Um, it broke the Saturday opening record, I think. Uh, it broke Disney's opening weekend record, um, and you know it's it's going to do better than like it's going to be one of the highest grossing films of the year, obviously. Uh, and yet, for some reason, it seems to not be enough. Um, uh, so in in China, it's been drawing. I mean, of course, you got the Western press going, "Oh my God, why didn't it break records? Why isn't it like the biggest movie of all time already?" Um, so let's talk about that in a bit. But in, in China, the word, uh, the feedback seems a bit mixed, actually, because, um, first of all, they do not, you know, clearly, you know, there are Star Wars fans in, in China, but that's not exactly the reason why a lot of these people went to watch the film. The reason is, uh, the reason why is because the film took up, you know, 60% of all screenings. So if you go to a cinema, that's pretty much all it's showing. Um, to sci-fi, sci- American sci-fi tends to do well in China, nevertheless, regardless of what, what franchise it is. And and you got three. You got the the um, I guess the young I guess the fans of Star Wars. Um, not the older, actually the older generation have not seen Star Wars, but rather a young younger generation of film buffs. Uh, they would go and watch Star Wars. Um, and not surprisingly, not everyone loves Star Wars. Uh, so word about has been kind of mixed. You get you know looking at Doban, the site um, kind of IMDb for China. They you know user comments seems to be like oh you know I don't really get the hoopla. Um, it was okay. The uh, story wasn't great. Um, a lot less enthusiastic word of mouth than than one might expect. And you know, for me, that's actually not news. I mean, you got a whole generation of people who don't watch Star Wars. For a lot of people, this may be their first Star Wars movie. Um, uh, obviously, we you know, I do not expect them to understand or to have that kind of experience that Star Wars fans do, or especially in the states, those who grew up with it. Um, it's it's kind of like. Chinese people asking, you know, why why don't foreigners like Monkey King movies? Well, they should be like so. It's kind of the, the way the West is kind of reacted to this this sort of surprise that that you know Chinese people don't may not like Star Wars as much as they do. It kind of screams cultural, you know, cultural arrogance uh, for me. Like the whole why does the whole world have to like Star Wars? Why why is it that because Star Wars didn't top the box office in Korea and that's somehow news or somehow it's like a crime uh, for, for those audience to not like Star Wars. Uh, and I'm speaking as a Star Wars fan. So for me, just kind of reading the um, Western coverage, uh, trying to sort of 
in disbelief trying to you know understand why Chinese people don't like or Asians don't don't you know aren't hot about Star Wars as much as Americans do. It's sort of interesting, and it's kind of how how revealing it is of the arrogance that that Americans or Hollywood you know uh, film film observer industry observers uh, hold when they think about Hollywood films. I don't know, Paul. What you know? What do you think about this? Well, it didn't help that they only like had one Asian in the film. <laughs> uh, you know, I think if you pay can learn, can learn. Who was that? Ken Lin's the, the guy, the Asian in the movie. We talked about the oscillator. No, no, no. There was a there was a girl, a pilot. Oh yeah, that she was cool too. Yeah, um, yeah, she's, that's, cool. she's the one I noticed. I, I didn't notice Ken Lin. But yeah, I mean, it, it, they could do, go further with uh, Asian presence to be sure, and I think that would make a big difference. I don't um, actually. I do not think so. Just like Fanbing Bing in Iron Man did not help Iron Man do better be, in China. It doesn't but, help. But no it's cares. because it's it's a tacked on thing. You know that's the problem. You you can't you can't just you know tack somebody in there. You've gotta you've gotta give them a role of meaning and substance. People know the difference. Chinese people aren't stupid. They know that oh Fan Bingbing's just in there for that one scene. She's not really in there. You know um, they they she was completely cut out of the the the, the U.S. cut. Right. I mean that they they try and do this. It's almost like sleight of hand, right? I mean, they're not genuine about writing roles in for Chinese actors or Asian actors. Yeah, um, but if you think about it, I mean, Fast and Furious 7 didn't have one single major Asian role, and it, it was the well, biggest it, film in China. It used, it used to. Well, yeah, but no one cared about that guy. <laughs> I did. Like, well, I did. Han was awesome, right? Or let's face it, Han was awesome. But, but you know, Chinese people don't care about Han not being. And if they cared, then they then Seven would not have been the biggest film of all time yeah, in China. That's true. That's right? true. So it doesn't really matter at all to me. It's just this whole uh, idea. I mean, look, Fast Five well, was the first film of the series to open in China, and no one really, no one complained. All right, and yeah. it did just fine. And then Six and Seven did even better. So. You know, but the thing is, there seems to be this whole like attitude that that because you know it's Star Wars, it should do well everywhere because it's a global phenomenon. Like, who if you don't know Star Wars, you'd be under a rock. That kind of arrogance to me, it's just a yeah. Bit no, you're odd. you're right. It's 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 like you know, I I I try and tell people, my friends in the states, about movies like Raw One and uh, Robot, and you know some of the stuff that I enjoy coming out of Bollywood cinema, like, what? What is that? You know, it's like, how can you guys not know this stuff? Because you just watch Hollywood, you know? So uh, that, I, I, do, I do agree with your sensibility that there, there is a, you know, there is a kind of arrogance there. And these franchises, uh, you know, despite all the tremendous promotion that they've pushed out, I mean, that they haven't gotten a lot of play in terms of the other media, Right, I mean, I think that they ran the Clone Wars uh, shows over here on TV, but those don't get play in China. Um, you know, we they, they the kids over there didn't grow up watching droids and the Ewok stuff. You know, the, the, those movies and those kinds of things. So, it, you're, I think your Monkey King comparison is a, is is an apt one. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> actually, actually, I think some Chinese audience, I mean, some Chinese industry watchers also kind of confounded why people aren't watching more Chinese content or why people don't like Chinese content. I think there's that sort of, I think China is also growing that sort of cultural ego as well in a way, but they haven't had the kind of success that Hollywood has had. And, and, and I think Hollywood's ego grew, I mean, naturally, it sort of grew from a natural place. But for me to, to see the people who actually follow it, to sort of grow that same kind of arrogance to me, just sort of amusing and, and a bit frustrating or a bit infuriating at the same time. Um and and the whole idea that oh my god it made fifty five million not sixty not seventy million not eighty million you know it's like but look, never fear people there's a the the Shanghai Park opens in June and I'm sure that the you know Disney is going to do its utmost to barrage mainland China with as much of its cultural product as it possibly can <laughs> in years to come exactly <laughs> come on like how much more money does Star Wars have to make it's yeah. already made ton now what profit. this what will be interesting to see is once we roll around to this time next year Rogue One. and the Donnie presence yeah. has become a part because one of the big things they've talked about and, and this gets us probably off into a, a, another tangent is a lot of articles 
talking about comparisons in terms of revenue between Ip Man 3 and Star Wars, right? So now you're going to have a chance to see the two converge. <laughs> and will that, you know, will the Donnie effect be enough to finally, um, you know, break down these barriers that I guess Hollywood thinks exists in, in their financial mind? Honestly, I think John Wen is the one that's going to be dragging in Chinese audiences, not Donnie. Sorry, well, but... perhaps Zhang Wen for mainland and Donnie for you know, I don't, you know, Chinese for Hong Kong. Malaysia, Hong Kong, Singapore, maybe Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I think so. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, but yeah, but yeah I'm, I'm excited to see both. So, and hey, give me a spinoff with the female X-wing pilot who never got named because I'd love or to see. Tra- or the traitor, the traitor guy. Yeah, traitor. <laughs> All right, so we've uh, we've spent quite a lot of time on news. Why don't we take a short musical interlude, and we'll be back to talk about the end-of-year film from Patrick Kong, Anniversary. There's no sign of life It's just the power to charm a And we are back. Our film, which closes out uh, the 2015 year, being released uh, exactly on uh, December 31st, is Patrick Kong's Anniversary. Now, as we record this, um, I guess we're actually getting ready for a re-release of this in director's cut form um, later this week or next week. Is Do I have that 14th? right, Kevin? The 14th? 14th? Yeah. Tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow, yeah. So I... First, before we get into talking about the film, what is it with this and the director's cut phenomenon? Because we saw this first with Port of Call last month, and now this? Is this like a new thing where the film films are going to get released first and then we'll get a director's cut a month later or a couple weeks later? No, I, I think for, for House of... House, I'm sorry, not House of Cards. Uh, for Port of Call, um, uh, actually a very specific situation is that the director's cut was the one that premiered um, the director, I think, was pushing as hard as he can to not let Maya release a shorter cut. But I'm guessing the company or he signed some kind of deal to have a shorter cut. So I'm sure there's some contractual obligation that he has to release a shorter cut. Um, or the film company sort of forced it on him. Um, so that was a very odd situation, actually. For this one, it's cl- clearly that they just sort of, he just, Patrick Kong probably got, also got contract- contractually obligated to, to de- deliver a, a shorter film. But now that it's made a bit of money and he's trying to get people to go in and watch it again, just like uh, Golden Golden uh, 12 Golden Ducks earlier this year, his so-called you know, extended version, um, trying to get second you know, audience going for a second time. Um, that was clearly a monetary decision, I think. Whereas um, the Protocol Director's Cut was kind of from audience demand that they want to see the original version that got nominated for the Golden Horse Awards. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, so we... Uh... I will have to report back. I don't know if I'm actually going to get out to see the director's cut. Hell uh, no. Don't even expect me to see <laughs> I, I Or not. Uh, I but uh, I'd, I'm, I'd be interested to, to, to see. It basically adds in about, uh, looks like, 20 more minutes of footage or so. My God. Um, oh, God. To make it uh, almost exactly two hours or something. So, But, uh, yeah, we're talking about the non-director's cut for today. So the story itself uh, takes place around these two characters, Abo and Kang, played by Steffi and Alex, 
uh, as they face their 10-year anniversary, they have strains in their marriage brought on by work and pressures from their family. Uh, but as Bo's domineering personality and Kung's marginally flirtatious behavior test the couple's limits, a deeper secret emerges that might put an end to their marriage once and for all. Um, so this is, a, a, both in terms of the title of the film being about the anniversary of, of these characters, is supposedly somewhat reflective of Patrick Kong's 10 years of doing films with at least Steffi and, um, you know, Mr. Steffi, uh, Alex Fong, Fong Lik Sun. I mean, it's a weird kind of thing because it's not quite there. It's not truly the 10-year anniversary. There's still a couple months off from when he released Marriage with a Fool. And it's actually not... That wasn't his first film. His first film was My Sweetie back in 2004. So it's not 10 years of him in the director's seat either. It's 10 um, years of his romance. That's the idea. 10 years of his romance. Okay, but I mean, My Sweetie was a, a romantic comedy too. So... Yeah, uh, you know, it, it's okay, 10 years, give or take, we'll say. Um, this is not a true sequel either to Marriage uh, with a Marriage with a Fool, but he does try and pseudo-connect it in some ways. So, for example, Steffi's character here has the same name. Uh, her name is Apo, uh, same name as the character she had in Marriage with a Fool, but not really the same character. Um, so Rebecca uh, Chan, uh, Chan Sao Chu, is in the role of Alex's mother, uh, as she was in uh, Marriage with a Fool, but Alex has a different name altogether. So it's not the same characters technically, but it kind of feels like it could be. It, it's weird, you know. Um, you get other players who were in that film, like um, Leila Tongling, who's here... Um, in a role as a friend and you know but so primarily the film is uh, not truly connected um, to marriage with a fool but again they try and make it feel like it is in some ways so mr and mrs steffi tang um the two of them i felt were really in really good form overall i mean i don't know if it's because you know they know each other so well being actually married together but i thought they really played well much better than films they've done in the past um, I, I felt the performances were, you know, a, as good as can be expected for um, something like this. I actually thought that this story was a lot more mature in terms of the script than what I was expecting. Because um, uh, given some of the stuff we got from him earlier in the year, um, other films we've talked about, Return of the Cuckoo, um, um, what was it, Love Detective? And, Love Detective, yeah. Um, <clears throat> And, and, you know, some of the other work he's he's either written or, or directed over the course of 2015, I really felt this was a much more mature script. Um, and perhaps he's gotten some of the best performances out of his actors in this film um, than in other films. Now, that doesn't mean that it's the his best film in terms of narrative. Um, it's still kind of full of Patrick Kong's signature tropes. Uh, what are those tropes? Well, he usually always has people at a table, either playing mahjong or eating and just kind of bantering back and forth. This is something he loves to do. Uh, he does it in his horror movies. He does it in his comedies. He does it in his dramas. It's, it's, it's something that if you watch enough of his stuff, you'll see it, you know, almost always kind of set up the same way. Um, themes of cheating, of course, abound. Um, there's not only one, but there's actually two twists in this film. There's one that kind of gets dropped around the, the midway point, but then there's, of course, a an ending twist. It wouldn't be a truly Patrick Kong film if he didn't throw in uh, a big secret twist at the end. Uh, I won't spoil it. I won't reveal what it is. It's a pretty good twist. Um, I didn't see it coming. I Perhaps I should have, but uh, I, I was kind of taken aback because, again... I got into the family relationships and some of the, some of the, again, I kind of felt this was a little bit more mature than what he's normally doing with characters in, in, in some of the, you know, script writing he was doing here. Um, so that kind of took me aback and I kind of thought he was not going to fall into that traditional habit of his, but now he, he, he did it right there at the end. So you fooled me, Patrick, you fooled me. Um, 
The uh, other thing, too, that's, that's a common trope here is the mobile phone. The mobile phone is the root of all evil in Patrick Kong movies. It is the devil's plaything. Um, if you are a character with a mobile phone, um, bad things are going to probably happen to you in a Patrick Kong film because the mobile phone is bad, bad, bad. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a, there's still, like I said, some fine moments. There's a family dinner scene. Uh, that I thought for me was particularly impressive. I'm a little bit biased, I think, because I recognized some family moments going on in that scene. Um, as ludicrous as some people may look at that and go, there's not a family like that. I'm here to tell you people, there's a family that's kind of like that. And I speak from experience here. Um, I'm not going to get into details more than that, but let me tell you, um, I was kind of I was kind of seeing some some recognition in a couple of those character moments, um, but uh, yeah, we was surprising uh, cameo appearance by uh, Loletta Lee, uh, aka Rachel Lee here, looking great um, and and doing very well in the the supporting role she has. Um, so yeah, for me, the 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 family relationships, the family dynamic between both Steffi and Alex, and with their families, their their families. Um, were what I really enjoyed most. I wanted to see a lot more of that. Um, and unfortunately, it kind of veers off and gets into some sub-stories, which is much more in line with traditional sort of Patrick Kong stuff. And this is where it kind of gets away from the mature side of it and gets back into some of the 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 sappier drama, dramatic side or the, the just kind of nonsensical would-that-actually-ever-happen side of things that is also kind of a staple of Patrick Kong stuff. Uh, one of these plots includes uh, Bo's friend um, who has something kind of tragic happen to her, and that's used primarily, I guess, as a point of reflection um, for something that Bo does or says she has done at a certain point. Um, and it's, I guess, there primarily as a means for her to introspect but they kind of overplay it. I mean, there's this long kind of drawn out monologue that's there to kind of tug at your heartstrings, but you really don't get enough of this side character to truly feel a connection, and it just seems kind of overly long. Maybe this will be different if there's a director's cut. Maybe there's more backstory that gives you a stronger connection to this character. Um, let's see, there's another character called Yan, who's a real estate assistant. She is like the niece of um, Susan Shaw, Su Yum Yum. And she comes in and she's supposed to be working uh, as Susan Shaw goes off on vacation. She's supposed to take her place and work at the real estate agency that Alex Fong's character works at. But she never does anything. She does no work. She just goes around and hits on Alex Fong and does crazy magic tricks. <laughs> and she's got this desire to, like, go to France and learn magic, which is just, it feels so weird in the context of of other stuff that's going on. It, it almost feels like it belongs in a different film. Um, and it leads to, of course, one of these things, you know, will he cheat, won't he cheat kind of things. And, you know, just moments that you look at and go, that's not really going to happen. Um, there, there's another similar moment on Bo's side where she's with a client and something and the client basically turns her and says, can you pretend to be my girlfriend for my mom and dad or my grandparents who are coming in? And she says, yes, she's met this guy like twice in two client meetings. Nobody's going to do that. You know, it's, it's, it's just it's one of these nonsense moments that is probably only going to happen in film. Um, and this sets up some of the the character conflict between the two characters. Now, this ultimately brings out. Um, some backstory that we don't have at the beginning. Um, and I don't want to spoil a lot of the backstory here because it, it does get to the heart of the central relationship between the two characters. And this is, again, where some of the better moments of the film come from. But then they drop this bomb. This is like the first twist. It's not really a twist, but it's a mid-movie bomb that just, for me, changed the whole dynamic of the movie. Because I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. If this actually, if this thing that's being said actually happened, that is such a deal breaker. I mean, that is such a major, terrible, almost evil thing to 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 
be done, to have somebody have done. I mean, Patrick Kong's showed some evil plot points before in his other films, but this has got to be one of the worst. And for me, the problem is, is that the film, it never goes back to sort of readdress it. Again, it tries to, again, use the the supporting friend stories as a as kind of a reflection to to you know to show these characters thinking about maybe this decision uh, that they're talking about, but it never really goes back and revisits that thing that's said. And so there's a question in my mind, and I'm guessing other audience members, maybe you know Kevin can weigh in on this, as to whether the character in that moment was saying the truth or was lying for effect, you know, in the heat of the moment, in the heat of an argument. And they never revisit it. So by the end, I'm guessing it was a true thing that happened. And it's just such a major, it's like, uh, are you kidding me? Uh, kind of moment that I almost couldn't recover in terms of getting, you know, back into the, 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 the corner of the, you know, relationship, you know, wanting to root for the relationship for these two characters again. Um, again, this might be something that is further developed in the director's cut. And so that kind of has me interested to, to want to go out and see it. And I'm hoping that there's more there and it's not just, you know, cutting room nonsense with, uh, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Bob, uh, Bob Lamb, who's, you know, in almost every movie in 2015, just being goofy and wearing goofy wigs. And he's doing the same here. Um, so yeah, there, there is that kind of weird just mid-film moment that kind of derails um, much of the stuff for me. But it doesn't really detract from the performances of the leads, I think, which I still found to be very strong. Um, there is a... Uh, um, th th there is also a, pe a weird penchant that I noticed, and I don't know, maybe other filmgoers will notice this. I don't know if you noticed this, Kevin. Where, like, the characters will go out and exercise... So they'll like go out for these long jogs or runs, and then they'll immediately stop and do something completely unhealthy, right? So like um, one of the supporting characters, um, Louis Chung, Chung Kai Chung, he goes out for a run and he stops, hits the bench, and he immediately starts smoking a cigarette. <laughs> you know, and he's still winded and he's just like puffing on a cigarette. And then later, I think Alex Fong is running, and he's like finishes his run and he's like chowing down on an egg McMuffin. I'm like, okay, that's kind of like, you know, it's like at odds with each other. It's just really, it was just one of the weird quirks that I noticed in the film. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know, again, overall, the character moments and the two leads acting off each other was pretty strong. And I, I enjoy, enjoyed seeing the family moments more so than some of the side stories and the subplots. Still having a difficult time wrapping my head around uh, the, the mid-movie bomb. But overall, I felt it was better on average, than a lot of Director Kong's um, movies, especially some of his 2015 entries. So if you've liked his previous work, if you've liked his previous pairings with um, Steffi and Alex, um, Marriage with a Fool was not my favorite of the two of them. I liked some of the, the later ones better. Um, but I think you'll find this one a, bit, a little bit more mature. You'll find the two actors a little bit more engaged with each other in terms of their ability to play off of each other and not just be sort of pop idols anymore. And I, I think there's some things here that you will enjoy. Kevin, any thoughts you want to throw at this one? Uh, no, no, and, well, no as in this movie sucked. Um, <laughs> my God, jeez. Um, no, just the whole... I don't know where to start. First of all, the, the subplot with the, the side characters... Really, I think I think Patrick Kong really doesn't really care for his characters or care about his characters. Otherwise, he wouldn't just sort of discard them the way he does with the supporting characters, um, especially after that thing happens. Um, he doesn't even care about his characters enough to, you know, because after the it is, I don't think it's a spoiler because it happens in every romance. Um, after the sort of mid films uh, uh, um, conflict, they split up for some time. Okay. Yeah. Um, they, he can't even bother to explain where these people live when they're split up because they simply share a house, right? But they're split up. Where are they living? They can't even go and answer that question like for like half an hour. Like we don't know. They're just sort of out and about and updating their Facebooks <laughs> like from who knows where, right? And and the thing is like 
you know, Steffi's character, just such a miserable, like, they're actually, they're both, and this problem where you're trying to make a movie that's about marriage and, you know, supposedly accurate, accurate about marriage, is that you create these characters who are so miserable with each other, where you just go, like, where's the divorce button? Just get divorced already. Stop and stop tormenting us with these people who are getting on each other's nerves the entire time. And, and, and Steffi's character, you know, the way that Patrick Kong writes, it doesn't really do any favors of Steffi because she's a, you know, a, 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 you know, insensitive, uh, bossy, dominating, um, um, selfish woman who just, like, seems like the entire world revolves around her. Now, maybe that that is an accurate portrayal of Hong Kong woman, and that's exactly why I don't date Hong Kong woman anymore. <laughs> okay. Um, I know, yes, I think Patrick Kong movies have a way to, to call out everyone's own biases, and especially for myself, I suppose, but it, it's just that I don't think he's gotten any more mature. His his you know situation is still too sitcomish. Um, he doesn't have any you know real insight about relationships. Oh, he probably he just gets these gossip stories from his friends and throw it all in his movies. Um, but you know I, the actors are fine. But I think they're I mean, my favorite matchup is still Alpha Love Alpha Lies because for God's sake there is a story in that movie. Yeah, there's a beginning, middle, and end. There's motivation, character motivation, and you actually feel sorry for these characters. Um, as, even though yes, Alex Fong played a complete scoundrel in there, but you know, I remember Koza always said that um, Alex Fong was doing a, his Andy Lau impression in that film, and I thought actually, it, it, in retrospect, it, it actually was one of the more decent Patrick Kong films. This one certainly wasn't. It was too long, it was too slow, and too juvenile, and and just flat out sometimes irritating. Mm. Well, yeah, I think I think I I do see your points on that. I, for me. I, I again I found a bit more in terms of the dialogue, in terms of the the character relationships in the families, a bit more interesting. Um, when it did break out to the friends and the subplots and you know the the, the company stuff, that's when it started to drift away. But yeah, the Steffi character, I got I got her the the rationale for her anger because that sort of comes out based on when you learn about the history in in their marriage. But when they drop that mid-movie bomb, it completely rewrites her character. And at that point, it's just like, are you kidding me? Uh, you know, uh, she's, she's, she's not just, you know, grumpy and domineering. She's evil. I mean, that's just evil. <laughs> what, you, right. know, you know, if that's the case. And again, we're never really given true confirmation of, of whether her statement's true or not. Um, and since they don't revisit it, I'm guessing we're supposed to believe that it that it is, and they're trying to you know recover from that. But that to me is kind of uh, not recoverable. Well, the way they recover from it wasn't really convincing recovery either, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a, it was sort of a very rom comish, you know, kind of ending where they kind of neatly patch things up at the end. But um, right. Yeah, well, there you have it. I, again, I do agree. I think that it, it doesn't come close to, to um, you know, um, Ellis for Love, Ellis for Lies. And I think I actually loved Love is Not All Around um, a, a bit more than this one, too. But uh, I think I, I did like this one better than uh, Marriage with a... Was it Marriage with a Fool? Marriage with a, Marriage with a Liar was the one with Chrissy Chow, right? Yeah, yeah Marriage with yeah. a Fool is the first one together. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, so there you have it. So, you know, uh, if you're if your fans, give it a shot. Uh, if you have not enjoyed any of Director Kong's work, a lot of what you're going to see here is more of the same. So, there may not be much draw for this one for you. You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. And you have been listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily LoveHKFilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. And we have had a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T dot com. You can also follow us over on Twitter. 
uh, twitter.com slash concast. Email is eastscreen at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't. Um, we'd be happy to hear from you. And if you have a question for us, we might just talk about it here on the show. We are also over on the Facebook. That is East S West S. Uh, I do urge you to keep up with uh, Mr. Ma and all that he's doing and all that he's writing. Especially, I would direct your attention to his most recent piece of writing over on lovehkfilm.com. And that is, um, it's not really a review. It's more of sort of an op-ed piece on a very important film from last year called Ten Years, right? Yeah, that's right. It's an omnibus uh, a film. Um, a simple description is that it's a film that um, five shorts about what these young filmmakers think will happen to Hong Kong in 10 years. And I think it is the most important uh, Hong Kong film in years. Whether you agree with the political point uh, viewpoint or not, I, I think its importance uh, should not be underestimated. And you can read about why uh, over on lovehafilm.com. Excellent. And, of course, you can keep up with Kevin at, at which other places, sir? Uh, well, every month you can read about... Uh, you know, the monthly selections on Cathay Pacific Airlines uh, and Dragonair in uh, Discovery and um, Silk Road magazines. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at the Golden Rock. That's um, at the Golden Rock. That's one word. Um, yeah, that's about it at the moment. All right. Our next show, number 182, should be uh, the first actual 2016 Hong Kong film of the year. And this parallels the first uh, film from uh, last year, 2015. And that is the sequel to last year's first film, The Gigolo, with Ooh, The yeah. Gigolo 2. So Ooh, more yeah. Category 3 goodness with... Uh, Electric Gigolo. Dominic, Dominic Ho and his uh, all, all of his man parts, I guess. Electric Gigolo. So... <laughs> yeah, we have that to, to look forward to or not. And we are not that far off from, of course, Chinese New Year. Lots of Chinese New Year films coming down the pipe. We've got um, some Ronald Chang stuff uh, just on the horizon. We've got, of course, Stephen Chow's Mermaid um, from Vegas to Macau 3, a new Monkey King movie. So lots of good stuff coming as we get closer into the holiday season. But, uh, yeah, next time it's Category 3. So all of that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying we hope all of your New Year's resolutions come true and we'll see you next time. See you next week, everybody. And don't spend too much time on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs>